Yes, you're dialed into the right place. This is the Frankly Daniel Show. And yes, I'm the Daniel and the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise, as you well know, of our First Amendment rights. Thank you for joining me, and it's an honor to be here today with you. Today's show is entitled, Guns and Our Collective Illusions. Today I'm going to share with you my thoughts about the Second Amendment and the recent Supreme Court ruling on New York's very twisted laws about a person's right to carry their pistol outside of their home. Now, here's Joe Biden talking about the Second Amendment. When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done, what in God's name, for God's sake, God's sake, God's sake, God's sake, for God's sake, do something. Why in God's name, for God's sake, enough. Why in God's name, for God's sake, for God's sake, for God's sake, enough, enough. Do something. Just do something. For God's sake, do something. Do something. Just do something. For God's sake, do something. Do something. Just do something. Well, that was Joe, all right. Now, if you're wondering why Joe kept repeating himself, it may have been because of those White House press cards that they prepare for him before he goes into any given meeting to give a speech. Now, perhaps you saw on Fox News this week where Joe accidentally was looking at the back of one of these note cards that they had prepared for him. And he had the front of that card, he was holding it up and it was facing the television camera. So you could read what was on the front of the card. And it said the card was prepared for the offshore wind meeting. And it was, uh, the title of this was Drop by Sequence of Events. So it, it, it reads, you enter the Roosevelt Room and you say hello to the participants. You take your seat. Press enters. Now, it doesn't mean you press enter like on your keyboard. It means the press enters the room. You give brief comments, five minutes. Press departs. You ask Liz Schuler, the president of the AFL-CIO, a question. Note, Liz is joining virtually. You then thank participants. You depart. Now, all the U's on this card are all in caps and bolded. So maybe that's what happened to Joe. He just got stuck on do something and it just kept coming out over and over and over again. Calling on God when it's convenient, Joe, I mean, it's, it, what a piece of work, huh? Uh, but I'm going to allow myself to get distracted before I address the Second Amendment today and what the Senate has been up to in passing more gun legislation. Now, it's been quite a week for news, and it's been quite a week for the Supreme Court. From my perspective, it's been a glorious and proud day for the Supreme Court and for the finest constitution ever constructed by a free-thinking and God-fearing people. And God bless America. And God bless the Supreme Court. When it comes to our constitution, I'm an originalist. I believe in the original text 
and that meaning, especially as it is fleshed out in reading the Federalist Papers as to what everyone was talking about at the time. As I've said before, I don't believe our forefathers stood up in Pennsylvania Hall and were thinking about adding an 11th Amendment to the Bill of Rights. And that amendment would have included a woman's right to choose to have an abortion. I mean, I don't believe in making up stuff as as an activist and then concocting some bizarre premise by which to justify issues as a constitutional right where there never was one articulated, never one intended. The assaults on our First and Second Amendments by the progressive left, they've been nothing short of evil. This is especially so when, when it comes to abortion. Our Constitution, premised on Judeo-Christian values, valued the right to life and the right to defend that life. Abortion is no longer all about you. I've heard the left repeatedly say, abortion is a group project. Abortion should be between a woman, her doctor, her husband, or her wife, her priest, or her rabbi, and the neighbor who had an abortion last year, and her high school girlfriend. No, we can no longer ignore the baby or would-be baby in the womb. And and as for all the other scare tactics by the left, the justices were explicitly clear. Go back and read that draft document or get, get the new one. In their, they were very clear in their Roe v. Wade opinion. The voiding of Roe v. Wade has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with gay marriage or interracial marriage or contraception or whether... Uh, you want to change your gender on the fly uh, or you want to put out a gay flag on your property or issues like that. It has nothing to do with any of that. And quit talking about the don't say gay bill in Florida. All that is just so much baloney. It doesn't say you can't have an abortion. Let Let me say that again. There is no prohibition on abortion. The court quite simply and straightforwardly in a manner that anybody can understand, said the right to an abortion isn't in the Constitution. End of story. It ain't there. It wasn't there in 1972, or in 1973, or in 1995, or at the turn of the millennium, or in 2020. And and why wasn't it there in those years? Uh, Because it simply wasn't there in 1787, or 1790, or after the Civil War, or after the Spanish-American War, or the First World War, or the Second World War, and on and on. Keeping the wrong decision, making abortion the law of the land, when it was never in the Constitution in the first place, is just plain wrong. But importantly, it's wrong because the states retain such rights, and the Constitution says so. All the rights not enumerated in the Constitution, as given to the federal government, are retained by the states. Why would a state want to join a union if they didn't have any say in how they could run their state and still be part of the union? I mean, you you don't make agreements like that in your neighborhood or anyplace else, do you? Abortion is not enumerated in the Constitution. And you can't combine seven or eight other constitutional amendments as the left has, 
and add a cup of milk and two large eggs and bake it at 375 degrees for an hour and come up with a whole new constitutional right. Abortion is not illegal in America. It may eventually be illegal in some states, but isn't that where these decisions belong? Not in a constitution where the left with several bottles of whiteout are amending what they believe was an oversight by the founding fathers? Let me also say that striking down Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with equality. This decision doesn't make women unequal to men. Well, under the left's multi-choice definition of what a man is these days, men don't have a constitutional right to an abortion either. That is, of course, if you believe men can birth children. And talk about a political party who's done more to hoodwink the public over what equality is and what it isn't compared to equity. My nerves already. This decision has nothing to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if it did, carrying a baby determined delivering a new citizen to our American population certainly would qualify as promoting diversity, equity, I mean, equal outcomes as uh, we all get to live, and inclusion. Which of us looking back today would say, if I had the right to, to be aborted, uh, if I had the individual choice that I could have somehow communicated to my mother that I wanted to be aborted or not aborted, would I not want to be included in that decision? That I, I didn't want an equal opportunity for the same outcome as, as other healthy children? Which of us would have wanted to have decided to be aborted? If so, I'm, I'm sorry for you that life has been such a burden and an awful experience. But when the rights aren't in the Constitution, they belong to the states. That's, that's the way our Founding Fathers set the agreement up. Now, if you believe in a totalitarian, highly centralized government that looks like, talks like, and commands people like a neo-Marxist nation, then, then obviously you don't believe in states' rights. Now, haven't we just experienced over the last two years shades of totalitarianism? You will, under penalty of being fired, be COVID vaccinated, including the booster shot. You will pay $5 a gallon because we have unilaterally decided no more fossil fuels. Millions of foreigners will cross the southern border and your local taxes, including your federal taxes, will be used to support these federally sanctioned migrants, whether you like it or not. Uh, we don't care that this immigration violates federal law. After all, who is going to make us follow the law? Oh, restart the rebate in Mexico program? Please. No, we refuse to. Are, are you going to try and make us? Uh, we don't respect federal courts and their decisions unless they rule in our favor. Oh, you will allow transgenderism to be taught in your kindergartens to your, in your school district, or you're going to be cut off from all federal funds, including federal lunch program money that supports such programs for your entire school district. You will perform gender-affirming care, including gender-affirming surgery, at the sole request of a child at your institution, or we're going to stop Medicare and Medicaid money to your facility. Oh, if you don't change your state's voting laws requiring photo ID, we will have the Attorney General sue your state into oblivion. And the list goes on and on. And there's a new threat every day. 
when you're listening to Joe speak next time, listen for the threats. The threats of intimidation and penalties are always there. Notice how Joe has failed to condemn the protesters outside the Supreme Court justices' homes these past weeks. Not all justices, just the six God-fearing American conservatives who in their official roles as justices sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States, so help them God, it's only those people that are being harangued. Oh, the other three progressive justices who would have you believe there's no such thing as a universally agreed-upon definition of a woman? Well, it's okay. These, these people are fine with this whole abortion issue. They believe you, you can make stuff up and pop it into the Constitution 11 and pop out a new law. Now, let me be perfectly clear. While I am pro-life, I don't want the Supreme Court to issue a ruling that makes abortion nationally illegal. That would be just as frigging ridiculous. That isn't in the Constitution either. The progressive left says the country is with them and they all want abortion to be illegal. Then I ask you, what's the problem? Go make your case in each of the 50 states. That can't take more than two years at best. You may get it done in six months if everybody is so swimmingly in love with this idea of a constitutional uh, in your state, a constitutional law within your state, to have open abortion, on demand, unfettered, whatever. But you may have to have a more challenging time intimidating and in, in threatening local lawmakers than the six people on the Supreme Court. The progressive left would like Nothing better than to shred our Constitution and write their own Constitution. It, 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 that's got to be perfectly clear at this point. If you, ever want to, if you ever want to get to wondering what this country would look like if they did such a thing as rewrite the Constitution, just look at what Joe Biden and the radical progressive left, have, they've done to America and Americans in 17 short and increasingly disastrous months. I believe in states' rights. Our nation was founded on the principles of states' rights. The states agreed to join in a union, but they did not agree to give their rights away to a centralized, all-controlling federal government. We have been down this path. We had a civil war over this. The South did write their own constitution. They looked an awful lot like uh, the, the regular constitution, but they wrote their own constitution. That was a perfect time in, in 1860, 1861 to be exact. They, they could have included abortion. It could have been, you know, one of, uh, one of the amendments. It probably would have been the, the 13th Amendment. I didn't think we had 13 by that time. They didn't agree to have a parliamentary government with the king either back in 1787. The radical progressives who masquerade as liberal Democrats, they want a totalitarian centralized government along the lines of socialism, but more closely aligned with neo-Marxist power structures. Do you know why progressive Democrats are so upset with the Supreme Court decision to vacate Roe v. Wade? It's because now they have to go to each state and make the case for on-demand, unfettered abortion at any gestational age and for any reason or no reason at all. Those on the progressive left 
I believe, are largely ruthless people who only know how to make their case in a very limited number of ways. A couple of weeks ago, I did a show on ruthless people. And I think the Democrat Party, as it stands today, has been pretty ruthless in their politics. But this ruthlessness depends on a lot of lies, a lot of subterfuge, threats, and especially threats of violence. It's my guess that you haven't heard Joe Biden's entire response to the Roe v. Wade decision. I'm going to play it here in a minute. Now, I don't mind telling you, I don't like it. I have never trusted Joe Biden for all of his time in Congress and in the vice presidency and as president. He routinely lies and he does so with such ease that he, he must think that after he's offered the same lie repeatedly, that none of us have taken the time to look up the facts that belie his lies. And I have to wonder that if he's told these lies so many times, whether somehow he's come to actually believe them himself. Now, I do give him credit for not blaming the Supreme Court's recent decisions this week on Vladimir Putin and the war in Ukraine. But the speech you're about to hear is simply reprehensible. It's repugnant, and his tone is pathetically repugnant. First, he talks to us as if we're children. Second, he always has to tell us how smart he is or that no one has been to more Supreme Court justices' hearings than he has or that he spent more hours with the Chinese president than any other human being or that his dead son started a foundation to help children pursue their dream of transgenderism or that he's traveled more Amtrak miles than any human being or, or that he always gives himself a nod. There's always a nod in the speech to himself. Third, this speech totally disrespects and disregards the 900,000 unborn who are terminated each year. Now, I, I realize that for many women, these decisions to abort a future child, they are emotionally taxing. But for Biden to blow off the national tragedy of losing 900,000 future Americans and then turning around and replacing these lost lives with illegal aliens is simply repulsive. Fourth, Biden flat-out lies. And I'll go through these lies after we listen to Joe. Just remember, this speech has been in the can for at least five weeks now. They knew this decision was coming. Important to so many Americans, but they did it. It's a sad day for the court and for the country. Fifty years ago, Roe v. Wade was decided and has been the law of the land since then. This landmark case protected woman's right to choose, her right to make intensely personal decisions with her doctor, free from the, from the interference of politics. It reaffirmed basic principles of equality, that women have the power to control their own destiny, and it reinforced a fundamental right of privacy, the right of each of us to choose how to live our lives. Now, with Roe gone, let's be very clear. The health and life of women in this nation are now at risk. As chairman and ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, as vice president and now as president of the United States, I've studied this case carefully. I've overseen more Supreme Court confirmations than anyone today, where this case was always discussed. I believe Roe v. Wade was the correct decision as a matter of constitutional law and application of the fundamental right to privacy and liberty in matters of family and personal autonomy. It was a decision on a complex matter that drew a careful balance between a woman's right to choose earlier in her pregnancy 
and the state's ability to regulate later in a pregnancy. A decision with broad national consensus that most Americans of faith and backgrounds found acceptable, that had been the law of the land for most of the lifetime of Americans today. And it was a constitutional principle upheld by justices appointed by Democrat and Republican presidents alike. Roe v. Wade was a 7-2 decision written by a justice appointed by a Republican president, Richard Nixon. In the five decades that followed Roe v. Wade, justices appointed by Republican presidents from Eisenhower, Nixon, and Reagan, George W. Bush, were among the justices who voted to uphold the principles set forth in Roe v. Wade. It was three justices named by one president, Donald Trump, were the core of today's decision to upend the scales of justice and eliminate a fundamental right for women in this country. Make no mistake, this decision is a culmination of a deliberate effort over decades to upset the balance of our law. It's a realization of an extreme ideology and a tragic error by the Supreme Court, in my view. The Court has done what it has never done before, expressly take away a constitutional right that is so fundamental to so many Americans that had already been recognized. The Court's decision to do so will have real and immediate consequences. State laws banning abortion are automatically taking effect today, jeopardizing the health of millions of women, some without exceptions. So extreme that women could be punished for protecting their health. So extreme that women and girls were forced to bear their rapist child. With the child, a consequence. It just, it just stuns me. So extreme that doctors will be criminalized for fulfilling their duty to care. Imagine having a young woman have to ch carry the child of incest as a consequence of incest. No option. Too often the case, the poor women are going to be hit the hardest. It's cruel. In fact, the court laid out state laws criminalizing abortion that go back to the 1800s <laughs> as rationale. The court literally taking America back 150 years. This is a sad day for the country, in my view. I will do all of my power to protect a woman's right in states where they will face the consequences of today's decision. While well, the court's decision cast a dark shadow over a large swath of the land, many states in this country still recognize a woman's, still recognize a woman's right to choose. So, if a woman lives in a state that restricts abortion, the Supreme Court's decision does not prevent her from traveling from her home state to the state that allows it. It does not prevent a doctor in that state, in that state, from treating her. As the Attorney General has made clear, women must re remain free to travel safely to another state to seek care they need. And my administration will defend that bedrock right. If any state or local official, high or low, tries to interfere with a woman's ex exercise in her basic right to travel, I will do everything in my power to fight that deeply un-American attack. My administration will also protect a woman's access to medications that are approved by the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, like contraception, which is essential for preventative health care, mifeprestone, which the FDA approved 20 years ago to safely end early pregnancies and is commonly used to treat miscarriages. 
Some states are saying that they'll try to ban or severely restrict access to these medications. But extremist governors and state legislators are looking to block the mail or search a person's medicine cabinet or control a woman's actions by tracking data on her apps she uses are wrong and extreme and out of touch with the majority of Americans. The American Medical Association, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists wrote to me and Vice President Harris stressing that these laws are not based on are not based on evidence and asking us to act to protect access to care. They say by limiting access to these medicines, maternal mortality will climb in America. That's what they say. Today, I'm directing the Department of Health and Human Services to take steps to ensure these critical medications are available to the fullest extent possible. And the politicians cannot interfere in the decisions that should be made between a woman and her doctor. And my administration will remain vigilant as the implications of this decision play out. I've warned about how this decision risks the broader right to privacy for everyone. That's because Roe recognized the fundamental right to privacy that has served as a basis for so many more rights that have come to take, we've come to take for granted, that are ingrained in the fabric of this country. The right to make the best decisions for your health, the right to use birth control, a married couple in the privacy of their bedroom, for God's sake. The right to marry the person you love. Now, Justice Thomas said as much today. He explicitly called to reconsider the right of marriage equality, the right of couples to make their choices on contraception. This is an extreme and dangerous path the court is now taking us on. Let me close with two points. First, I call on everyone, no matter how deeply they care about this decision, to keep all protests peaceful. Peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. No intimidation. Violence is never acceptable. Threats and intimidation are not speech. We must stand against violence in any form, regardless of your rationale. Second, I know so many of us are frustrated and disillusioned that the court has taken something away that's so fundamental. I know so many women are now going to face incredibly difficult situations. I hear you. I support you. I stand with you. The consequences and the consensus of the American people, core principles of equality, liberty, dignity, and the stability of the rule of law demand that Roe should not have been overturned. With this decision, the conservative majority of the Supreme Court shows how extreme it is, how far removed they are from the majority of this country. They've made the United States an outlier among developed nations in the world. But this decision must not be the final word. My administration will use all of its appropriate lawful powers, but Congress must act. And with your vote, you can act. You can have the final word. This is not over. Thank you very much. More to say this in weeks to come. Thank you. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. 
Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Frankly Daniel Show. By now, you've probably seen a ton of negative press and TV punditry over the Supreme Court's 5-4 to four decision to void the uh, allegedly constitutional abortion law. As always, you know, 10% of the people make... 90% of the noise, leaving us with the impression that the sky is really falling over this particular decision. I don't think so. If you remember, the original leaked decision was 6-3. to three. But Justice, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, he backed out and changed his vote. Now that doesn't surprise me. If anyone was going to vote with the left, it, it would have to be John Roberts. He's done this a number of times. Anyone can guess why he did this, perhaps to make the decision seem close, five to four. We've, we've known for weeks now that if the leaked decision at six to three stood, this was going to give the Democrats a midterm campaign issue, and they've been planning for this all along, because I, I think that they thought that Roberts might swing back. Uh, that, that's his style and his record. But uh, they were pretty sure that the five votes were going to be pretty secure. Although you have to say when Kavanaugh's life and his family's life, lives were threatened, you know, that makes you think, it makes you think about um, whether your courage should stand for your whole family. But in any event, um, when you consider the dire straits this country is in economically and all the wokeness being pushed on our children, it, it's going to be a shame uh, if the abortion becomes the overriding issue in the midterms. And I think conservatives are going to have to stay very consistent, very much in this game uh, of electing conservatives to both the House and the Senate this fall, or we will be lost. And there's no doubt about that. Um, 
Well, a few a few comments about Joe Biden's speech. No one is going to stop anyone from traveling across state lines to get an abortion. I, I, the stuff that the stuff that these guys come up with that Biden says it it just they're just ridiculous. No one's going to police anybody's mailboxes to ensure they don't receive pills in the mail uh, to do self-directed abortions. I mean, as for the poor people put at a disadvantage, uh, they're poor, Joe, because of your darn policies. People can't afford to drive to the gas station, much less drive to get an abortion. And it's a lie that maternal deaths will skyrocket because people won't be able to get a legal, medically-directed abortion. I I just can't even believe that anymore. Uh, Joe claims that all the medical associations stand behind his claim that women, they're going to die. You know, the law in Texas has been at six-week cutoff now for for months, I think for half a year. Have you heard about all the women dying in Texas? Uh, Joe Biden is up to what Joe Biden and all the progressives have been up to throughout COVID-19. How how do you really believe Joe became our president? I mean, they lie, they cheat, they intimidate, they threaten, and they participate in stoking violence, as the media will call the the coming destruction and the coming riots, mostly peaceful demonstrations. I am very proud of the five justices who didn't cave to what's been going on just outside their front doors for weeks now, particularly those with young families. It's got to be just a harrowing time, and somehow they deserve it. That's that's the whole approach of, of progressives. They, they they can't have a legal difference in opinion. They are wrong to the point that we're going to be right in your face. Now, gutless, bitter Merrick Garland, who refuses to enforce the federal law against protest in front of justices' homes, he should be impeached. In fact, the entire Biden administration has been hostile to these justices throughout the awful past seven weeks. Biden spoke as if he was at the Progressive Democrat Party's national convention, not as the president of the United States. I mean, his partisan speech disrespected 50% of the nation with a threatening message to all that Americans are going to die because of the court's anti-American and anti-woman mistake. But remember the Supreme Court overturned Brown versus the Board of Education. That was the law of the land that said separate but equal was okay. That was where black and white, that part of the law in the land, that was just okay with law, lawful Joe. Joe Biden supported separate but equal because he didn't want his children to go to a school in a racial jungle. That's the Joe Biden we have as president. Now, the Second Amendment is easy to find. It comes right after the First Amendment. And if you value life, then you must hold sacred your right to defend your life, both in words and in physical reality. That covers the First and Second Amendment. We hold these two rights above all others to be self-evident. These rights are eternal. They don't change every four years with a new president or political party in power. Well, in an effort to keep guns out of the hands of the randomly few mass shooters, tens of millions of us are being told we must accept more gun regulation and more infringement on the Second Amendment. It appears the Senate has agreed to new gun legislation. Yep, straight out of the Breitbart News, 
Late this week, the Senate easily approved a bipartisan gun violence bill that seemed unthinkable just a month ago, clearing the way for this final congressional approval of what will be lawmakers' most far-reaching response in decades to the nation's run of brutal mass shootings. After years, the GOP procedural delays that derailed Democrat efforts to curb firearms. Democrats and some Republicans decided that congressional inaction was untenable after last month's rampages in New York and Texas. It took weeks of closed-door talks, but the group of senators from both parties emerged with a compromise embodying an incremental but impactful movement to curb bloodshed that has come to regularly shock yet no longer surprise the nation. End quote. So there's no doubt this legislation has come about because of the mass murder events, this time in Uvalde and in Buffalo. The public demands that they do something about gun violence, and that's exactly what they've done. Something. The appeal is always for common sense measures. What is common sense these days anyway? And the conventional wisdom that we've come to trust may be conventional, but is it any longer wisdom? Take, for instance, wearing cloth and surgical face masks to protect and blunt the spread of COVID-19. Common sense says, of course, wearing a face mask prevents you from inhaling bad germs that cause COVID-19. It also helps prevent you from breathing these germs on other people. Well, that's the conventional wisdom. That is the common sense of it. But finally, study after study, believe it or not, study after finally, shows that this isn't true with COVID. I've been saying this for a year. And these types of masks are largely worthless. Yet we've spent billions upon billions of dollars on face masks. And the pollution from these masks has become a marine and land-based problem really across the world. And, and largely all for nothing. But wearing a mask certainly has been one of those common sense practices that has been extremely common, but in the end, there's no scientific sense behind it. This hasn't stopped all hospitals that I've been visiting and, and the likes from mandatory fast mask wearing in these facilities. But, you know, sometimes you, you can't talk common sense into people. Will any of the billions of dollars the Senate has appropriated to go along with their new gun laws reduce random mass gun violence? Now, I say no. The, the most important thing Congress could have done was to concentrate on hardening schools. And I hope to get to more on that later. But they cherry-picked those measures that make common sense, like raising the age limit to buy a rifle from 18 to 21. You know, once again, in response to public demand, our Congress and other political leaders say that we must give up more of our personal security and gun rights for a greater collective good that promises to protect us from future gun violence. I'm saying this is a terrible illusion. It is a collective illusion. Perhaps you'll find what I'm about to say is outrageous. And you're, you're going to shake your head and I can hear you saying that I must be a gun nut or somehow I'm an empty shill for the National Rifle Association, or I'm favor I'm in favor of mass shootings for some reason, which none of that's true. But here it is. This is what I have to say about more gun legislation. Ninety-nine percent of the gun laws on the books are worthless. 
They're worthless when it comes to stopping gun violence, especially mass murder by gun. 99% of all social science studies declaring this law or that law made some statistical difference in stopping or preventing gun violence, especially mass shootings, are so seriously flawed that they're little more than partisan talking points. They're grossly distorted exaggerations, and most are sensational claims that simply are flat-out lies. Now, I'm going to share with you a clip from Reason TV, R-E-A-S-O-N TV. It's also a journal. Uh, You can find the full video uh, by a Google search for Aaron Brown, A-A-R-O-N, Brown, B-R-O-N-W, and do studies show gun control works? It's a question. Or you can simply put in Reason TV, all one word, Aaron Brown. And this uh, uh, YouTube video will pop up. And there's several like this, but this is a particularly good one. It's about 22 minutes long. I'm, I'm just going to show the front part of this. You'll see it pop up in the search as Do Study Show Gun Control Works. That's the video. And as I said, I'm only going to play the first several minutes of the entire presentation. It gets a bit technical when Dr. Brown talks about statistical analysis, but not to worry. Like I said, it's all on video, and you can access it later and see all the wonderful uh, presentation graphics they've got to go with it. We've heard too little from social scientists concerning the social science truth behind a growing body of academic pseudo-gun violence research. Peer-reviewed journals aren't interested in publishing studies that show no effect or negative effects of new gun laws on gun violence. I mean, who who wants to read about that? Remember, academia is controlled by progressive politics, especially at the university level. I should know, I was at Harvard uh, for 10 years in the graduate program uh, teaching, and I can tell you all about that sometime. This bias against guns and gun ownership especially is true in popular journals and newspapers and also cable newscasts and the like. Also remember, our media is dominated completely dominated by progressive politics. So what we get is a steady diet that this law or that law reduced accidental gun deaths by 40%, or that raising the age to buy a gun reduced mass shootings by 28%, for a host of other sensational claims that sound common sense. But the mathematical science and study design don't really prove these claims and you, you have to be sophisticated enough to read these studies to know that their experimental design is folly and they're using retrospective data. And, you know, these events are too rare to, to really prove anything. We, we're going to raise the, the age now from 18 to 21. And, you know, do you think that's going to really make a difference going forward? It would, may have made a difference going backwards in these last two uh, mass shootings, but we don't know that. You know, there's more than 20 million AR-15s out there in circulation in America. 20 million. Do you think these these two guys couldn't have found a way to get their hands on an AR-15 other than legally going in and buying them? Remember, it, it wasn't until the early 1500s, that because of Nicholas Copernicus, who was a Pole, by the way, that we began to believe that we rotated around the sun and not the other way around. Of course, Copernicus's brilliance was, wasn't acknowledged until much later. That's the problem with all these guys back then. 
what he was saying was uh, uh, really against common sense, against conventional wisdom, and against the teachings of the Catholic Church at the time. But believing that the sun rotated around us is in line with today's progressive Democrats who also believe that all of us rotate around their wisdom. Now, this despite evidence that socialism and Marxism kill more people than rescue them from poverty and despair. But that's another whole talk. Let's hear from Dr. Aaron Brown. Common sense gun legislation. Common sense policy about guns. Common sense gun reforms. We have to act. We can't wait. Take the firearms first and then go to court. I don't need to wait another minute to take common sense steps. After reaching historic lows in the mid-2010s, gun violence rates in America have gone up in recent years, and they remain higher than in some other parts of the developed world. There are hundreds of laws and regulations that restrict Americans' access to firearms, yet according to some advocates, social science research shows that a few more simple common sense laws could make a significant difference. The notion that gun laws don't work is not borne out by the evidence. And the evidence and data is in. Gun safety saves lives. It's not something we assert, something we can prove over and over and over again. That's not even in dispute. Of the thousands of studies that have been done on the effect of gun control laws, Nearly all are so flawed as to be total nonsense. The hundred or so good studies are usually ignored or misrepresented by politicians and the media. Statistician Aaron Brown has taught at NYU and the University of California at San Diego. He's a columnist for Bloomberg and a leading expert on risk management. If you think most published journal articles on public policy issues have clear causal conclusions, such as that a specific gun control regulation does or does not work, you would be mistaken. Federal gun crime prosecutions are up 16% since I took office, but we must do more. And I think there needs to be vigorous prosecution of gun laws on the books. Last year, we prosecuted a record number of firearms offenses. Gun control policies based on flawed research can have tremendous costs. They turn otherwise law-abiding citizens into criminals, and they increase prosecutorial power and mass incarceration. They exacerbate the racial and socioeconomic inequities in the criminal justice system. Brown points to a 2020 meta-analysis from the nonpartisan research organization, the Rand Corporation, that analyzed 27,900 studies on the effectiveness of gun control regulations. The authors concluded that 0.4%, or only 123, were rigorous enough to provide meaningful results. And even among those, many didn't answer the most pressing question for policymakers. Do gun control laws reduce violence? The 123 studies that met the RAND criteria were the best of the bunch, but they still had serious defects. In fact, given the uncertainties in the data, it's next to impossible for any study to prove that a particular gun control measure had any effect whatsoever. The only thing we can say confidently is many of the most widely trumpeted results are likely based on random chance alone. Peer-reviewed journals generally accept a result as statistically significant if it has a 1 in 20 chance or less of being due to random chance. This means that if researchers run 100 studies on the relationship between two things that obviously have no connection to each other at all, say milk consumption and car crashes, by pure chance they can be expected to get five statistically significant results that are entirely coincidental, such as that milk drinkers get into more accidents. So what was wrong with the 123 studies that met the approval of the RAND researchers? These papers tested 722 separate hypotheses about the impact of gun control laws at the 5% level of significance. 
Even if there were no relationship between gun laws and violence, much like the relationship between drinking milk and getting into car accidents, we'd expect about 5% of those 722 tests, or 36 results, to show that gun regulations had a significant impact. Collectively, these papers found significant results for only 18 combinations of gun control measure and outcome. Half what we would expect by random chance if gun control measures had no effect at all. But let's assume that these 18 statistically significant results were not the result of random chance and do demonstrate a relationship between gun laws and violence. Are there any meaningful takeaways? Brown argues that these findings actually have very little relevance for policymakers because of the poor quality of the data. Researchers often conceal this by using the shoddy data to build conceptual models and then claiming high confidence in the results the models spit out. In reality, gun violence is rare enough that it's nearly impossible for researchers to figure out what difference a law makes, if any. For example, one of the significant results cited by Rand found that more restrictive child access laws could stop a total of two kids across 11 states from injuring themselves each year with a gun. These events are simply too rare to get meaningful statistical estimates. There's simply too much variation from other factors and random noise to give any precise estimate of this number. Brown says similar data issues plague most social science research that tries to tease out the effects of a policy change on rare events like accidents, suicides, or homicides. These studies are doomed from the start. Regulations can take years to implement and enforce, and will likely affect only a small fraction of new gun sales. New gun sales are a small fraction of all total firearms owned. Therefore, the most optimistic projection of first-year effect of a gun control rule would be a small fraction of 1% of gun homicides. But gun homicide rates in states change by an average of 6% in years with no legislative changes. Fatal data problems like this frustrate all gun control research that attempts to tease out the effect of marginal policy changes on suicides, homicides, or anything else. It frustrates opponents of gun control who sometimes argue that guns are more often used for self-defense than to victimize others. Anyone basing a gun control position on scientific evidence is building on sand. We have no useful empirical data on the subject, and we have no body of work that rises above the level of expected false positives, either for or against gun control. According to Brown, there's another major takeaway from the RAND analysis. The numbers indicate that researchers are suppressing results that show gun control policies do nothing, or have the opposite of their intended effect. Of the 722 hypotheses contained in the 123 studies that met the approval of the RAND researchers, only one significant result found that a gun control measure had made gun violence worse. Even by random chance, those studies should have yielded about 36 false positive results, and roughly half of them should have shown the opposite of what researchers expected. So why is it that only one published finding showed that a gun control measure didn't work? Given the vast number of studies done, the vast number of hypotheses tested, we would expect more of these negative results by random chance alone. The fact that only one was found suggests strongly researchers are suppressing negative results. The rarity of pro-gun control results and the near total absence of anti-gun control results are strong evidence that we know nothing about the effect of gun control regulations. Let me share with you that raising the age to purchase a rifle from 18 to 21 likely won't make one iota of difference going forward on blunting or preventing these kinds of mass shooting crimes. Why, you ask? If you review all the mass murder shootings in schools, four or more dead victims since Columbine, including Uvalde, you'll find these mentally disturbed young men had planned these events for months in advance by raising the age limit to 21. In fact, we've denied millions of 18, 19, and 20-year-old men and women of obtaining a rifle 
in a wishful promise that another Uvalde won't happen again. In closing, let me share some testimony by a legal professional who's an expert on gun violence and law guns in America. Chairman Nadler, Ranking Member Collins, and distinguished members of Congress. My name is Amy Swearer, and I am the Senior Legal Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation's Ed Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Just as doctors can only recommend an effective treatment plan if they first form a correct diagnosis based on accurate assessment of the symptoms, policy analysts and policy makers must have an accurate understanding of the societal problems they are seeking to combat. Unfortunately, too many policymakers appear completely uninformed about basic factual realities related to guns and gun violence. Don't misunderstand me. We all want safer communities. But the characteristics distinguishing so-called assault weapons from non-assault weapons are not factors like caliber, lethality, or rate of fire. Proposals to ban scary-looking features like barrel shrouds or pistol grips are, for all intents and purposes, proposals to force law-abiding citizens to own guns that are harder for them to handle, harder to fire accurately, and more likely to cause them injuries even when they are being used for lawful purposes. Moreover, semi-automatic rifles are not a meaningful driving factor behind rates of gun violence. Two-thirds of gun deaths in this country are suicides, where the type of firearm is essentially irrelevant. With respect to gun crimes, over 90% are committed with handguns. Rifles of any kind are definitively used in only 3 to 4% of gun homicides every year, and an American citizen is four times as likely to be stabbed to death than they are to be shot to death with a rifle of any kind. Despite frequent claims that semi-automatic rifles are the weapon of choice for mass public shooters, in the last decade, over half of these shootings have been carried out with handguns alone. On the other hand, semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15 are so well-suited for defensive action against threats in a civilian context that the Department of Homeland Security quite literally designates them as personal defense weapons for law enforcement officers. It is little wonder, then, that millions of law-abiding citizens in this country also choose these types of semi-automatic rifles as their own personal defense weapons. Far from needing to be protected from these rifles, law-abiding Americans benefit when they are allowed to defend themselves with them, particularly in situations where they are outnumbered. Just last week, a homeowner in Rockdale County, Georgia, relied on his scary-looking semi-automatic assault weapon to defend himself against three masked teens armed with at least one handgun who tried to rob him and other residents in their own front yard. Ironically, the rifle deemed an assault weapon by many in this room was used defensively to protect innocent people against assault, while the perpetrators used a non-assault weapon offensively to commit actual assault. Importantly, some of the most famous examples of the defensive use of assault weapons by civilians come from scenarios where the government has been either unable or unwilling to defend entire communities from large-scale civil unrest. During the 1992 LA riots, for example, law enforcement was nowhere to be found as hundreds of looters ransacked Koreatown. Ordinary store owners like Richard Ree and his employees took it upon themselves to defend their livelihoods from lawlessness, using, in many cases, semi-automatic rifles. Similar stories emerged during the civil unrest in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. There are some here today who still genuinely don't understand why or how anyone would need such scary-looking rifles for purposes other than mass murder. And so I have permission from my mother to explain it to you by partially embarrassing her. 
My mother did not grow up with firearms, and they will never be her favorite thing in the world. In fact, she'd never handled a firearm until I took her to the range for the first time several years ago. Now, I love my mother, but like every other novice with a handgun, she was quite bad. I mean, she struggled to hit a stationary target from six yards out under ideal conditions. And then she picked up an AR-15. And I watched my mother put a fist-sized grouping of lead in the center mass of a target from 20 yards out. That is why law-abiding citizens buy millions of these firearms. When accuracy and stopping power matter, they are simply better. Americans use firearms to defend themselves between 500,000 and 2 million times every year. God forbid that my mother is ever faced with a scenario where she has to stop a threat to her life. But if she is, I hope politicians protected by professional armed security didn't strip her of the right to use the firearm she can handle most competently. Frankly, I hope she has in her hands the scariest-looking assault weapon she can find so that we can both be confident in her ability to end the threat. Thank you.